it's mushrooming and creating a larger wound channel and it's leaving that bullet fully in the animal so that all the energy from the bullet is transferring into that animal. So I would just like, they stay together. They don't fragment. Um, you don't want lead in your meat. So there's like a bunch of different factors that go into our bullets that I would say make them superior than a competitor on the shelf. And that's not saying that there's anything wrong with grabbing, grabbing someone else's bullet or am right. ammo, yeah. but um, ours are very heavily tested here. We test every single lot of bullet of ammo in our lab. They're all tested for accuracy. So you just want to know, I guess, in my opinion, when you're taking an animal's life, that you're doing everything in your power as the hunter to put that animal out quick. What's going on, guys? Hope you are having a great Saturday. In today's episode, we have Maddie from Nosler. Guys, Nosler is an awesome company. They've been making ammo for years. They just had their 75th anniversary recently, and they're doing an awesome job creating the ammo that you're going to need if you're a rifle hunter, if you like to shoot out the distance, if you have a need for some ammo for your EDC, whatever it may be, go definitely check out Nosler. I'm going to leave a link down below for them. But also, this podcast today, guys, is brought to you by Black Ovis. Guys, check out the link down below. Go place your order at Black Ovis. Use code REDBEARD10 once you've clicked that link to take you over to the page. They've got everything from the new Peaks equipment, the things that they've got over there for, as far as gaiters, as far as the new sleeping bag, which is awesome. thing is super comfortable. They've got the shelter. They have a whole bunch of other items, guys, from pants to clothing to the puffy that I'm preferring right now as it's getting a little colder. Definitely go check out Black Ovis, the link down below here. I'd also appreciate it if you would subscribe to the channel. Subscribe, leave a like on this video, leave a comment, ask any questions. And if you're listening to this on the audio-only platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, go leave a review. It helps support way more than you know. That is a free and simple and quick way to show support for the channel. I appreciate you guys, all the growth that we've been having and you sharing the show. Let's get back to the conversation with Maddie. Enjoy this one, guys. Let's have a great day. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it. Welcome back, guys. I've got an outstanding guest for you today. We have Maddie Woodward. It won't be Woodward for very long because you're getting married soon, right? I actually, no, that's my married name. Oh, shoot. Well, I screwed that one up. <laughs> well, <laughs> either way, I can't remember if it was a fiance or married, but either way, we've got Maddie here. She works with Nosler. Uh, she does an amazing job in marketing different companies that she works with, but Nosler's the main one. And Maddie, in and of herself, is just an individual that stands out amongst the rest. She loves getting in the outdoors. She doesn't do it for, and, and, and I imagine if there wasn't Instagram or any kind of marketing, you'd be one of those people that's still out there doing it because of your passion, your love for it. And you live in Montana, correct? I live in Oregon. Oh, man, I'm screwing all this up. <laughs> well, you're in Montana a lot, it seems like. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're really good friends with the, the crew over at Montana Knife Company and just like Total Archery Challenge. And so I'm over there a lot, but I'm in I'm in Central Oregon. Okay, so your second home's in Montana is what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll eventually move there because it's beautiful. It, 
it is a gorgeous place. It, it really is. Um, and I've even got my wife who hates the cold, uh, thinking about possibly getting some land up there. So we're there you yeah, go. Amazing. But anyway, so we have Maddie here. Maddie is just a great individual that represents what the core values of so many things that have to do with the outdoors. She's family oriented. She loves sharing it with other people and is just absolutely a humble individual as well. Um, but she is so knowledgeable when it comes to things such as firearms, ballistics, uh, bow and arrow, knives, like a bunch of things that have to do with the outdoors. So with that being said, Maddie, who are you for people that don't know who you are? Oh, gosh, I'm just an average person that really likes to hunt. Um, but I'm Maddie. Really appreciate you having me on the show. I'm super excited. Anytime I get a talk hunting or anything outdoors. I'm just super ecstatic about it. Um, I'm the brand marketing manager over at Nosler, which again, I get to talk hunting all the time, just the nature of my job. And I grew up hunting and doing it for a very long time. Like I, I don't even know how old I was when I first started going with my dad, but um, my dad always took my brother and I and he just say, see you to my mom, we're going hunting. And so I grew up in the outdoors and I've always loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and you can tell it's something that, uh, it's just ingrained in your DNA pretty much. And, and it's awesome having a dad that was willing to take you, didn't treat you. I've heard of two, there's kind of two ways that things go with, with parents and fathers in, in general. Um, it, when they have a daughter, they either exclude them from the outdoor stuff and just take the boys and go for boys weekends or their daughters become even more of a stud than the than their <laughs> sons do because they just are out there crushing it and and just embrace the outdoors uh even more so than the son so it you know it seems like your father took that other route obviously and just wanted you involved in it as much as possible and um, that that's an awesome thing to hear. So I guess kind of walk us through how you got started in the outdoors, why that passion is there. Um, and where, I guess, what state were you in that you started in the outdoors? So I've always been in Oregon. I grew up hunting the coast range. So North West Oregon, um, with my dad and my brother. And it's kind of funny. You mentioned that about like how dads can kind of choose to raise their kids. So my brother is 18 months younger than me. And him and I have always been very close. And my dad, like, he'll make jokes and be like, oh, my other son. And I'm like, dad, what the heck? But he really did, like, he raised us the same. And then he kind of just, like, let us pick our own paths and molded us. Um, but my brother is, he's a stud in the outdoors, too. He uh, does taxidermy and he kills a lot of animals. And he's a total badass. And he's, like, one of my best friends and one of my favorite people to hunt with. Um, so I grew up hunting, I grew up rifle hunting and now I will say that uh, archery is probably my favorite, um, which is kind of funny because now I work for a rifle and ammunition manufacturer, but I really like to use the different weapons and different like means of hunting game as just an additional opportunity. So whatever gets me the most opportunity throughout the year is kind of the weapon route I'll go, whether that's rifle, archery, or muzzleloader. Um, but my entrance into the outdoor industry happened, oh, three and a half years ago now I started working for Nosler. So before that, I just, 
I just truly loved hunting and like that's what I did in the off season. So I played basketball in college and when I wasn't playing basketball, I was out shooting ducks, like hunting and um, worked my way through marketing in college, went and got my master's in business. And I was actually working for a chain farm store in the Pacific Northwest throughout college and after college. And right when COVID hit, um, I had met my husband and I decided to take the leap of faith and move to Central Oregon with him. And I just like knew that I wasn't working where I was super passionate. Like the farm store, yeah, it kind of did it for me because I was in marketing and, you know, I grew up showing horses too and in like a country lifestyle and uh, my husband's family owns a ranch. And so I was kind of in that same lifestyle, but I just had such a passion for hunting and I didn't really feel like I was where I was supposed to be. And it's so not like me, but I'm like usually a planner and super organized, but I quit my job without having anything else lined up. And I worked on my husband's family's ranch for the summer until I saw that Nosler here in Bend had an opening and their only job was a position in accounting, which I had a little bit of accounting experience from my business degree, but definitely like no real world experience. And I applied for it. I got the job. Real quick, um, with your business degree, so I'm assuming yeah. it's your MBA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that's awesome. I I went through and got that as well, and I hated the financial class. <laughs> I don't know if you were the same way, but I hated the finance classes, and I loved the marketing classes. Yes. Yeah. I definitely leaned more towards marketing and HR, but it was good that they made me do the other stuff because it came in handy when I applied for that accounting yeah. job. Cause I was like, Oh, accounting. I took some of those classes. I know how to work. Uh, with <laughs> yeah. And so I got the accounting job. I worked in accounts receivable for probably for like six months before the VP of sales and marketing came to me. And he's like, what the hell are you doing in accounting? <laughs> I was like, it was the only position open and so it like I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be now I've slowly worked my way up in marketing and have some really really incredible opportunities like get to travel a lot for work which can sometimes be tough because I feel like I'm traveling like nonstop. Um, but through that I've gotten to meet some really really neat people really neat companies um, and yeah it's just awesome. that's how I met you Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things where, uh, it, it sucks being away from the family and, uh, and things like that. But at the same time, getting out and getting to meet genuine people, like you get to see people outside of social media and in real life, get to shake their mm -hmm. hands, look them in the eyes, see what they're really about. And, uh, not just, you know, quick messages here and there or likes or comments or things like that. Um, that's definitely something that, that I absolutely enjoy. I feel like has, has kind of melted away, uh, since COVID. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was doing, um, was it phase three of live hard during COVID when it was at its height. So phase three, for people that don't know, you have to start a random conversation with someone ah. that you don't know in person every single day for 30 days. And I was doing this in the middle of COVID. Luckily I didn't live in like California or something. We were Utah, yeah. still pretty locked down, but, um, you know, I would go up and talk to people with their mask on, you know, and like trying to keep my distance, but like trying to engage at the same time. And, uh, I, I definitely feel like that's something that has fallen away. So it's good that you're able to get out and, 
and enjoy that, uh, you know, through your different events and get to know people in other companies. Um, so you can kind of really gauge them outside of a screen. Yeah, definitely. It's always really neat to see, like, especially when you kind of like, you feel like you know someone on social media, but then really getting to see them in person and not only just interacting with them, but seeing how they interact with others. That's like a, a thing that's really big to me is like, not only how you interact with me, but how are you interacting with other people? Um, but yeah, I've met so many incredible people. It's like, it, to it truly fills my soul, like every trip. Um, and I'm very blessed because my husband being deep in the hunting industry as well. So he's a guide and like avid hunter. And um, he will sometimes travel to trade shows with me because he's like a kid in a candy shop when it comes to mm -hmm. that stuff. So it's really neat. He does get those opportunities. Well, that's really cool. And I, I would like to go back as well to, to what you said about seeing how they interact with other people. Because you obviously, and we'll get to this, how people might overlook you in the Nosler booth um, because you're a woman and uh, you're just, you know, it's just something that they do for some reason. They're going to turn to John because he looks a little bit more grizzled and, you know, mm -hmm. like he knows what he's talking about. And then they've got this wealth of knowledge over here uh, with Maddie just kind of smiling and, you know, just sitting around. <laughs> but uh, with talking and seeing how people interact with others, I love going around like a total archery challenge uh, and, and trade shows as well. And seeing like taking some of my friends in and seeing how they get treated if because they're not known, like people mm -hmm. may know me because of the podcast or whatever, or maybe I've interacted with them on social media or emails, but taking random people in and seeing how they're treated. I'm like, ah, that might not be a company I want to work with because yep. if they're treating them <laughs> that way, how am I going to co be confident in sending my audience? to that company mm -hmm. and uh and and i'm sure you get that even more so with being the the marketing manager uh I, I guess or what's the relationship manager as well for people um you probably get a lot of people that come to you putting on a good face because they're like ah maddie's my way into nosler all right here we go you know and uh and so you get to see how they interact with others as well so that that's really cool and that's something that i just i want people to to realize that and I try and stress this to my kids as well. You're always being recorded, whether it's visually mm -hmm. or on the phone or, you know, and you'd be surprised how many times you've probably been recorded and are on YouTube without you even knowing. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so like everyone is interconnected, especially in this industry. Like you think it's big, but it's really not. And mm -hmm. everybody knows everybody or everybody knows somebody that knows somebody. And, um, so yeah, it's really interesting. I also like to look at like, you know, say some like big name walks into the booth and they have friends or family with them. Like, are they going to introduce those people? Are they going to, you know, make those people that might not be a big name feel just as welcome in the conversation? That's another thing that I, I see a lot just working the booth. And I try to be more of a bystander and more of a listener just because I found over the years, I learn a lot more and I, um, I just can like truly read people better when I listen and like, I ask them about themselves. Like, um, I've learned a lot that way, both <laughs> good and bad, but, uh, it's just really interesting to see their interactions with companies mm -hmm. and then the people they bring in. Yeah. You can learn a lot about someone <laughs> by just listening. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I, I would agree with that 100%.
and uh, you've been you've been in the industry a little bit longer than I have, so you definitely understand that even more so. But uh, with with that being said, you worked in so you so take take note of this, people. If you're wanting to work in a company as well, sometimes you have to take positions that you're not necessarily interested in, uh, such as an accounting position. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is an accountant and would be upset. Not really. But she would like she would love that position. She loves accounting. Mm -hmm. She loves doing the things behind behind the scenes. Uh, but on the other end, your specialty is in marketing. So you got into marketing. Uh, you started working with with Nazar in marketing. And then how did that, I guess, with your career growth, uh, what are some ways that you were able to stand out when, you know, Nazar's not a huge company. It's a it's a good company, good size company, yeah. but it's not huge like a Costco or a Walmart or something no. like that, right? So how did you find a way to stand out um, when I'm sure there were other people, you know, eyeing that position? Yeah, I think I just really started to play off my strengths. So I'm very much a people person. I love to be out and socialize. I love to like, for lack of a better term, kind of be the face of the company. Um, you'll, you know, you'll see John and I at a ton of events throughout the years and they kind of just know us as the Nosler people. And I love that. Like that's where I see myself excelling. And so I kind of just played to those strengths and I myself am a, am a consumer of our product. And so I think my knowledge of hunting and firearms and ballistics um, and my husband's an avid reloader. So he's helped me like learn all that side of the things. Um, but I think that's kind of just where I was able to excel is knowing my strengths, but then also knowing my weaknesses, because there's people in this office that do jobs that I could never do. There's even people in marketing that do jobs that I'm like, whoa, that's not my territory. Um, so I think, yeah, just really knowing where your strengths lie and mine's definitely in in talking and working with people. No, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I would definitely agree with that as well with knowing your strengths is something that's important. Whatever your career is, again, uh, I'll highlight my wife where she's like, you know, I love making things work and line up perfectly with numbers. Mm -hmm. That's why she loves working with numbers, not people. She's like, I get so tired sometimes of people calling me and asking me questions. And she's like, then I see you whenever she does work from home. She's like, I hear you on the phone all the time and you're always having a good time. I don't know how you do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like, and then you've got, you get done with work and you're having a great time with the kids. She's like, I don't know how your social battery lasts that long. Mine's like this big, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely knowing, knowing strengths. And uh, I, I think that's awesome. You're definitely in a good position to, to help, you know, Nosler get involved with other companies as well. Uh, because it is, it, it, especially in this industry nowadays, um, or at least with social media and marketing, where social media could be such a good tool to spread Nosler. Um, mm -hmm. you kind of get shut down as an ammo company. You can't say certain words, um, <laughs> and you have to put in specific numbers instead of letters to kind of, you know, figure out the algorithm so you don't get flagged. Uh, yeah. so it, you know, that takes some skill too. So I guess talk, how, how have you become successful? Cause Nosler has been around for 75 years at this point. Um, this yep. year was the 75th year. So congrats to Nosler on that. Yeah. Uh, but standing out again in an industry where you're being, um, I guess there's outside forces that are shutting you down. It's not all mm -hmm. in your control. How are you finding ways to still reach the consumer and reach people? Yeah. So I run our, all of our social media channels. So I know 
uh, social media is so frustrating, which it's hard because it is a really great tool, but we unfortunately haven't seen the growth on social that I would expect us to see because the algorithm is so against us. So like we can't run paid ads. We can't use the term ammo, ammunition, bullet, rifle. Like I've, I've figured out ways around it. Um, you know, I, I put in like a capital I for the L in rifle or like two capital I's in bullet. Um, and then I think the bots or like AI, whatever they do to read the captions, they don't pick up on the word. So I've seen a little success with that, but like, I see all these other companies running paid ads and I'm like, oh, I really wish we could do that. But we've actually kind of over the last year or so turned to really word of mouth and building relationships and getting back to like the old school way of just boots on the ground, meeting people, shaking hands, looking them in the eye, like seeing what kind of people they are, seeing what kind of brands they are, who runs those brands, um, looking at where we can collaborate. So that's kind of what John and I do here um, because we can't really work with social media. Like we have a following, but it's just not where I would like to see it. And we're making strides every day, but I will never be on the same level as a company that sells purses or like something that the government likes. Um, so really just getting back to like, surrounding ourselves with good people and good companies and collaborations. Collaborations are huge. Mm -hmm. And that we've seen a lot of success with that in the last year, especially with like Montana knife company, Seekins, Everly stock loophole. Like there's a number of brands we work with that just help us push our brand even further. Um, and in turn, we help them. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I can definitely see that as well. You know, it's really frustrating that, and, and there's the argument that it's a private company. So, you know, social media, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, whatever, can, can do what they want. And to a certain degree, I, I agree with that. But at the same okay. time, when it's become so big that it's almost like email at this point, uh, where it's a, a, I mean, everyone that has a phone has access to it. Everyone that has a computer has access to it. It's almost a public utility, even though technically it's not. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's something that's frustrating. And with something that you guys are doing with uh, trying to grow, you know, in an industry where there are multiple uh, ammo manufacturers, you guys are still working not only on trying to stand out in that aspect, but also standing like getting to the new consumer, because there's obviously mm -hmm. people that are loyal to, to Nosler and will continue buying Nosler ammunition and bullets at this point now my podcast is going to be struck so who cares okay <laughs> i know i feel bad <laughs> let's go down the let's go down the list of all <laughs> we need to start putting in some buzzwords that they that instagram likes and right <laughs> but uh with with you know you guys are kind of battling on two fronts you're you're trying to stand out in an industry where there's multiple manufacturers and then you're also uh trying to to beat some outside forces and so that's a hard job. You know, I, I definitely don't envy your job uh, specifically because you, you've got a lot that you've got on your plate trying to fight these two, these two mm -hmm. war fronts. But at, at the same time, I agree with what you're saying. Going back to the boots on the ground is something that it's hard work. It's not as easy as clicking send on an email, mass email, you know, or, or a, a post on Instagram, but it, it goes a long ways. 
uh, you know, word of mouth and, and meeting people. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, kudos to you. And that's, that's some hard work that again, I don't envy your position. Yeah, it is. And it's been a challenge too, because we've been known for our products in the Northwest, primarily like big game, Northwest bullets, ammo. And, but through studies over the last couple of years, we've been like finding how many white-tailed deer are killed in the United States. And it's like some 7 million a year. Insane, right? And so we're like, okay, how do we get into the whitetail space? And really what we found, like we have dealers and we have reps that work those areas. But really what we're trying to do is just push in boots on the ground. We just, we just went on an archery whitetail hunt in Alabama. And you'd think like, oh, a rifle company is sending two people to go archery hunt Alabama. Like that doesn't make sense, but it's all oh, about the connections and, oh yeah, our AccuBlade. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That was a success. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But anyways, yeah. so you went to Alabama um, as an ammo company with a, you know, with a bow and arrow. Yeah. And we, we just figured that like ourselves, we archery hunt and rifle hunt so many other people do that too and in the whitetail space there's usually their archery season transfers into a rifle season so they'll usually like start with a bow and then go into rifle season or vice versa so those people that are archery hunting are also ammunition consumers and so just making connections that way and we've worked with the national wild turkey federation who's all over the east coast um so just kind of pushing into that territory a little bit through collaborations like that and more boots on the ground. And it's, it's proven to be a success for us. Oh, for sure. So, uh, with, you know, while we're on the, the subject of the AccuBlade, um, I, I want to bring that up here for a minute for people that didn't, that don't know, uh, there was this amazing broadhead that came out, uh, around April timeframe <laughs> with a collaboration between, uh, Hoyt, and Montana Knife Company sharpening the, the AccuBlade for you. And then uh-huh. it was the, the Nosler um, tip that, you know, it was a screw-in broadhead. It was three blades, vented. Uh, I mean, it looked pretty sweet. You know? It did and, look sweet. <laughs> so I love that you guys do things like that. For, the, for those that don't know, it was an April Fool's joke. It's pretty awesome. I think it was one of the best April Fool's jokes I saw um, <laughs> on social media. And you guys, I mean, there was freaking email chains. There was so many things that went into that. It was awesome. I even had people asking me after I went to the Montana Knife Company event. They were like, hey, did you get hands on the AccuBlade? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah dude. This thing is sick. Like, it is. We and still then, have I, people asking us when we're going to, like, where they can buy them or when we're going to yeah, release them. Like, I would out. never recommend shooting an AccuBlade if you ever get your hands on one. I don't know what it'll do. <laughs> but it was sweet. It was. We took an yeah. AccuBond bullet and we just put blades on it our engineers they put blades on it because they can do anything but it was a great april fools collaboration and that was kind of one of our first big collaborations that went pretty viral like that was big for us i mean it was was big enough that that people were asking me about it after the montana Mm -hmm. and then they were asking and then they were upset with me not really upset but they were like oh you knew about this i'm like oh i totally (laughs) yeah hey that's good we did it we we did our job then mm-hmm. oh yeah it worked that definitely yeah. worked so i uh, let's talk a little bit here about ammunition um i've been heavy into to archery and, and bow hunting the last couple of years because for time constraints and um 
you know, things along those lines. I haven't gone into uh, the rifle seasons. Now this mm -hmm. year I do have a late season cow tag that I'm going to be using a rifle for, but um, you know, for the most part it's been archery. So I've fallen away from all these cool new calibers and everything. I know 28 Nosler is going to be my next rifle for sure. Uh, Cause I've just looked at ballistics and, and talked with John a little bit about it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, that that's a pretty sweet round. Now for people, I guess that are, the people that I used to be like, where you just go to Walmart and buy a, a you know, a pack of bullets. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you side into whatever your, your local gun guy says is the good round. Um, why is Nosler different than something you just go and again, buy off the shelf at Walmart that says it'll kill the deer for you? Yeah. I think there's so many different aspects when it comes to killing an animal and different factors. So, at the end of the day, are most bullets going to get the job done? Probably. Um, yeah, I hope so. Um, but really what we focus on is, ethic. is it ethical? So like, how long does it take your animal to die? Um, is it shooting all the way through the animal, not leaving a good wound channel? Is it transferring the energy from the bullet into that animal for a hard hit so the animal goes down? Like there's there's really a lot of factors that go into it. And our bullets are really well known for A, being hard hitters, transferring their energy, creating good wound channels, and really I would say like our bonding process of like the AccuBond, the partition, the ABLR um, makes our bullets superior. So what it's doing is it's creating a heavier base and a heavier base jacket on the bullet so that when that bullet hits the animal, it's transferring its energy, but then it's like, it's not penciling all the way through. So it's mushrooming and creating a larger wound channel and it's leaving that bullet fully in the animal so that all the energy from the bullet is transferring into that animal. So I would just like, they stay together. They don't fragment. Um, you don't want lead in your meat. So there's like a bunch of different factors that go into our bullets that I would say make them superior than a competitor on the shelf. And that's not saying that there's anything wrong with grabbing, grabbing someone else's bullet or am right. ammo yeah. but um ours are very heavily tested here we test every single lot of bullet of ammo in our lab they're all tested for accuracy so you just want to know i guess in my opinion when you're taking an animal's life that you're doing everything in your power as the hunter to put that animal out quick right exactly and and i do want to point out because i've I've kind of gone back down the rabbit hole of uh, rifles and ballistics and things like that because I'm wanting to get another rifle and uh, looking into Nosler products mm -hmm. and what makes them stand out. I want to point out to people that that I'm sure a lot of my audience is mainly archery hunting is with a bow and an arrow, you want two holes if you can get them. And if not, you want the biggest cut possible, at least. Uh, it's more about hemorrhaging with an arrow. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a bullet, it's more about um, the dispersion of the the force, you know, yeah. the, the shock or what's the, the trauma that happens from the bullet. It's not necessarily the hole and the hemorrhage. It's more of the, the impact and then the dispersion of that energy through hopefully the chest cavity. 
Yes. Um, if, if you're, you know, ethically shooting. And so that's the big difference between archery and arrows versus uh, bullets and, and that type of ammunition. If I'm, if I'm misstating that, correct me on that, but that's what I've understood. Yeah, no, you're correct. And there's people that'll say like, I want an exit because they like a a blood trail or, and we do have, we have bullets that depending on your velocity, your, the distance you're shooting at, um, will pass through the animal. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, ideally we want everything to stay inside. We'd like to find that bullet under the hide on the offside of the animal so that we know that everything is left in the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a bad thing when it passes through necessarily, as long as we're getting a good mushroom and a good wound channel. You'll see sometimes there's guys out there that like to shoot animals with target bullets because they are uh, a lot of times more accurate, I guess I would say. Uh, and But they're not meant for terminal performance. So like they're not... Con- concerned with what's happening once that bullet hits the animal like when we're making target bullets we're worried about how that bullet travels to the target we're not necessarily worried about how it goes through an animal because they're target bullets um but they are very accurate but a lot of times they'll pencil all the way through an animal so you're not getting a good wound channel you're not getting a good bullet that mushrooms and creates a larger wound channel you're just getting like a small pencil hole through the animal and that doesn't a transfer energy and it doesn't leave a good blood trail. Like a lot of times that will just like clog up blood clot and they won't bleed good. So if there's anyone out there that shoots animals with target bullets, don't do that. But, yeah. um, but yeah, pastors, it's not always a bad thing by any means. Um, and there's a lot of guys that prefer it. It just, I would say, depending on the wound channel, but ideally well, we'd like the bullet to stay inside and end up on the offside. And and I didn't understand that when I first started hunting. Um, I just knew that's what happened. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I started with a 308, classic 308. Didn't want to go so classic as a 30 out six, but 308 is just a good overall round. It's got good uh, trajectory and and drop and everything. I don't want to shoot anything personally over 500 yards because I still like to get in as close as possible to the animal, yeah. even with a rifle. That's just my adventure. Some people are like, oh, it's cool to shoot an animal at a thousand yards. For me, I'm like, I want to possibly spook the animal. I want it to still be kind of a stall. You know, I yeah. want them to be able to see me um, it, to each his own. But for me, with the idea of a, a pass-through, I never really understood that until archery. And then looking into to rifle hunting, it makes more sense to want to transfer all of that energy. Because if you look at whatever bullet you're shooting, 308, 28 Nosler, uh, 7mm, you know, whatever the popular round is that you're shooting... If you look at the energy that's getting transferred from that little bullet into the animal, you know, if it, if it just goes through, it's not transferring that energy, like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And the bullets a lot, it's like shooting a, a field point on an arrow yeah. to an animal. I mean, it's, it's, it's equivalent to that, if not even smaller, because the arrow at least has fletchings on it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and so I guess people not understanding that i'd recommend that you go and check out that energy transfer aspect of it because if the bullet is staying in on the opposite hide obviously not stopping at the shoulder of this side but stopping on the opposite end uh, all of that energy that's being transferred into the cavity is is what really i mean that creates an ethical kill yes 
And there's different bullets that are diff that are designed to perform at different impact velocities. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you are shooting an animal inside the appropriate impact velocity. So you don't want to get down to like 1200 feet per second and have your bullet not, you know, perform properly. Cause that's when you're going to find, it's like going to be like throwing rocks at the elk or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just want to make sure, and most people aren't going to have any issues with that because they're going to be shooting within like a couple hundred yards out to 500 yards. Um, but that is something to be aware of. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, something else too, I, and this has nothing to do with rifle bullets, but a, a muzzle loader. So this last year, a buddy of mine, um, we were up on the mountain and he ended up killing a bull. He, this bull had a rough year. Uh, he was a, he was a broke off seven point on one side, two on the other, but I'm sure he would have been a seven by seven old bull. Um, and his front right shoulder was broke. And when we were cleaning them, it was a muzzleloader round and the muzzleloader season had happened just before extended archery. So this was, you know, maybe a month later and, uh, his shoulder was broke, just destroyed atrophied. Um, but that bullet had penetrated maybe that much into the, the, the shoulder, um, and it was, I mean, it was a muzzle loader. I think it was like 40 or 50 caliber. And, uh, it's just, it was really sad to see because obviously that guy didn't understand his, um, his rifle, you know, or his muzzle loader, mm -hmm. uh, because you should have been able to break through the scapula with a muzzle loader bullet. Like, unless you were shooting from, you know, 400 yards away, yeah. uh, you know, or just at a poor angle, you know, that's something that you definitely need to understand as well. So Again, for me, if it's cool to shoot targets at a thousand yards, a mile away, but when you're dealing with another life, at least understand your equipment, mm -hmm. um, just like you would with archery, understand how it functions and what it's good for and, uh, and, and go from there, you know? And so with, with that being said, what are, what's your favorite round for, let's say elk and mule deer. Um, and then I guess, so favorite caliber and then the what what do you call it the different processing so you're saying acubon partition yeah so so just to clarify if so i know you have a lot of archery hunters mm -hmm. that listen so it's actually the whole cartridge like the brass powder primer bullet like a loaded cartridge that's what we refer to as ammo and then just the just the projectile so just the bullet is technically what we call a bullet and um you'll hear like a lot of people interchange those and be like oh grab a bullet and um it's funny like we really we really d differentiate between the two because it there's a huge difference when someone's like oh i need some ammo or oh i need some bullets um but just to clarify a little bit of terminology so we have several different lines of bullets and um, we have the ballistic tip, we have the Acubond, we have a partition, the Acubond long range, we have some varmint bullets, and then we have some match grade um, target bullets as well. But my favorite is the Acubond. I would say being a 75-year-old company, we are founded on the partition. And the partition is what all other bullets in the industry were kind of made off of. Like the partition is the standard. And it still works. It's a very effective bullet. The Acubon is kind of like the newer hot item um, to the partition. And so we find guys like the older generation typically still loves the partitions and there's not, absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
the AccuBond is my favorite. I just have always had success with the performance of the AccuBond and I love it for really anything. Like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any problem shooting really any animal with an AccuBond. Uh, when it comes to calibers, I'm big fan of the 28 Nosler. And that's not just because I work here. I really like the performance of the 28 Nosler. So you're getting the case capacity of similar to a 300 PRC uh, with a 7mm bullet. And you're reaching 3,200 feet per second. I think my 28 is running like... 31, 34 feet per second. Um, but in a 300 PRC or like a 300 wind mag, you're getting like 2,900 feet per second, 3,000 feet per second. So it's just a hot cartridge. It's shooting that bullet really fast and it's a heavy hitter. And so that's what I would choose for elk or mule deer. My mom shot her elk this year with my 28. My sister-in-law shot hers with my 28. Um, and my sister-in-law shot hers at 580 yards and she yeah. smoked her bull. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of the 28. I also like the 30 Nosler. It's another great option if if you're a 30, 30 cal fan. I know there's guys that are like 30 cal or bust. Um, so the 30 Nosler is another great round, but the 28 is definitely my favorite. And the 28, I would say, is the most popular by far of the Nosler proprietary cartridges. Gotcha. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, last animal I shot with a rifle was a 300 PRC mm -hmm. and that thing was a laser beam. I think it was like just under 400 yards. I mean, it just dropped the mule deer, like that's right awesome. the spot. So, uh, you know, if you got a cartridge that's flying faster than that and seven millimeters, not that much smaller than a 300. Uh -uh. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, more speed, flatter trajectory, I imagine. Uh, the only thing that I've seen about 28 Nosler, and I wanted to ask you about this, is that it's a barrel burner. <laughs> I understand it's because it's a fast cartridge, but I'm like, these guys are like, well, after like, you know, 800 rounds, I had to change my barrel. I'm like, well, who, like, I'm not going to be putting 800 rounds through my hunt rifle. I'm sorry. That's more like yeah. an AR type of round count for me, but. <laughs> yeah, we get that. Um when people ask like what the set, the 28 compares to, I'm always like, oh, it's like a hot rod, seven rem mag, you know, it's like a jacked up. It just has such a large case capacity that I do understand where that worry comes from. And uh, rifles aren't cheap, ammo's not cheap. So I can respect the fact that they're looking long-term and considering, you know, what this might look like X amount of rounds down the road. But I don't know that I've ever put even 500 rounds through yeah. any of my hunting rifles. Um, so barrel life, yeah, maybe 800 to 1,000 rounds. Um, but I would say that that for me would not prevent me from purchasing that caliber of a rifle right. because the performance is so great. Um but yeah, I do hear guys say that, and I see that a lot on forums too. And if you're comparing it to like a 7 rem mag, yeah, it's going to burn out your barrel faster. But I don't know. You have to weigh performance. Are you ever going to shoot that many rounds? Yeah, if you're shooting that many rounds, 
you can afford a new barrel every 800 rounds. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to yeah. say it. Like, if you're shooting for 800 rounds of 28 Nosler, yes. you can afford a new barrel. It's okay, buddy. Like, that's yeah. what I wanted to say. But I just, I was like, that's not... Now, if we made like an AR-10 28 Nosler, then that might be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. That would be freak. That'd be crazy. But uh, yeah, I, it's kind of unfortunate that it's known as the barrel burner because the performance is so good in that, that cartridge that I wouldn't let that hinder me from buying yeah. it, but I get it. Yeah. Well, for me, it, it's funny because, again, I wanted to ask you because you are you live in that industry and I'm just getting back into rifle stuff. So I wanted to make sure my common sense was common sense. Like, yeah. it just, it, it makes sense. And it's similar to archery stuff where people are like, well, four millimeter versus five millimeter arrows and this broadhead versus that and blah, blah. I'm like, mm -hmm. guys, like, how about we shoot our bows good? You it's know? all personal <laughs> preference. Yeah. 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 And then everyone's like, oh, you got to hug the shoulder. I'm like, well, but there's this much lung behind the shoulder. Uh -huh. You don't have to shoot into the shoulder. Like yeah, I don't. I've never been a fan of shooting mm. shoulders. There's yeah. guys that are like, put the animal on the ground, shoot the shoulders. And I'm like, but why would you shoot the shoulders when you have the vitals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a lot of meat. Clean... <laughs> yeah, it's like, have you had to clean the bone out of uh, shoulder? meat before it's not fun yeah you know well think... and like why are you blowing a hole right through both shoulders that like mm -hmm. especially on an elk or even a big a big mule deer or a big white tail like, that's a lot of meat mm -hmm. yeah exactly i'm not a fan yeah. but yeah to so each I their own get back to the basics you know if you're, again if you're i'm just if you're going to shoot 800 rounds out of a barrel you can afford a new barrel it's not that big of a deal <laughs> there's great companies out there that you know uh but no it's it's uh i just wanted to before i spoke on it i wanted to make sure i was thinking in the right way on that so yeah uh, yeah 28 nozzler all right well you sold me on it officially yeah it's <laughs> like next it's my favorite yeah i love Have it you, you'll love it furthest, what's the furthest you've taken out your <laughs> rifle to oh i've shot like just shooting or actually on an animal yeah no target oh like 1200 yards yeah i like how she's just like oh yeah 1200 yards yeah, but i would say like <laughs> it's good to shoot it's good to shoot distance mm -hmm. it's good to know the factors like play the wind know how your your bullet flies um and it, it's such good practice mm -hmm. to shoot distance and then when you get close like those shots seem like a chip shot like a 400 yard shot i'm like okay no big deal dial my rifle hold dead on and it really is good practice. Like same thing at TAC, like total archery challenge where targets are 110 yards. I'm never going to shoot an animal that far, but I'm sure going to practice because that makes those 60 yard targets seem that much closer and makes me that much more confident at that yardage. Oh yeah. no, oh, for sure. It's, you know, it's played a role into uh, my first elk this year. Um, you know, shooting out to hundred to 120 yards frequently uh, mm -hmm. getting to know my bow, getting to know what my mistakes are, because those things are magnified out at distance. Uh, and, and obviously at 120 yards, I'm not going to say I'm shooting a group like that, guys. Like I'm shooting a pie plate, <laughs> yeah. you know, if I'm lucky, a pie plate, but I'm on my morel target at 120 mm -hmm. yards, right? That's, that's where I want to be. And so when I had that 70 yard bedded elk, I was like, 
like the yardage didn't matter to me. I set a yardage mm-hmm. at the beginning of the hunt. Like, I'm not going to shoot past this yardage, 70 yards. And then when I tell people that, you know, people that are maybe newer into archery or whatever, they're like, that's a long shot on the elk. I'm like, well, it's like half the yardage that I'm used to shooting. So yeah. for me, it wasn't that far. And it's not to be cocky. It's more of that I felt comfortable in that position. And I imagine mm-hmm. the same with a rifle. You shoot, you take your rifle out to 100 or to 1,000. 200 yards 1200 yards so that's more numbers than i can count um (laughs) but to 1200 yards it's you know you learn how to dial correctly you learn what Mm -hmm. you check you learn to check your bubble which is something that i'm learning too about rifles you know know, you're supposed to be level i just thought you you just pull up crosshairs boom you know i know (laughs) and so all of those things are magnified at distance and it's Mm -hmm. good to get to know your your rifle whatever it is that you're shooting so uh, that that's that's really good advice as well. Uh, yeah. I want to pivot a little bit here. We kind of hit on it at the beginning where you go to booths, you go to events, and people may pass you up if they don't know who you are. Um, obviously, if they know who you are, you're probably the first person they want to talk to at the booth. But for people that are just coming into the booth, maybe new consumers or uh, people that aren't in the industry, uh, they'll they'll pass you up because we'll just say it because you're a woman. And, you know, there's your, your pretty face is sitting there just talking to people, shaking hands, uh, kissing babies kind of deal. And you don't really know, or maybe shaking babies, kissing hands, whatever works better for you. But either way, you're sitting at the booth and uh, you're just there as kind of like the marketing person. You're there to help, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what people don't understand is that you're, you're, you're a killer. You're awesome at what you do. You know your stuff. And uh, you, you could probably clean an elk better than most of the people that are coming into the booth. So with, with that being said, let's talk a little bit about, you know, women in the hunting industry, uh, whether you have a job in the industry or women that just want to, well, maybe we'll hit in the industry. And then afterwards, we'll talk about women that want to get into hunting, uh, some steps to do that. So talk to us a little bit about your experience as a woman in the industry itself, working in the industry. Yeah. So I'd say... I'm really well-respected within Dossler, obviously, within other companies. Um, But when it comes to working the booth, it's a really interesting dynamic. So usually it's me, John. We usually have another sales guy there. And we we don't sell any product at shows, which really pisses people off because they already have a hard time getting Dossler product. And that's primarily because, like, COVID, the political environment, like, there's so many things that go into – people hoarding ammunition. And we really saw that over the last few years. So when we were at shows, we'd get people coming like, okay, where's this product? And they Mm -hmm. would come up to the booth a little flustered and like be pretty stern with their questions. Um, And it's just, it's interesting because there's usually two of us, sometimes three, and guys will line up behind my coworker, Caleb. they'll literally get in a line to ask him questions and Caleb knows his stuff. Like he's great. He can talk to anyone. Um, but they, I guess just assume that I don't know anything. And so they like, don't like to talk to me. And it's really funny because, um, I, I mean, there's nothing really about me just by looking at me that you would think that I hunt besides the fact that maybe I'm sitting in the nozzle booth. So, it's not until John or Caleb are like, I don't know, let me ask Maddie that they're like, oh, wait, she can actually answer questions. Uh, so it's funny. And I don't feel like there's times where I feel like it 
was a little frustrating to me because I felt like I was being overlooked and maybe not as helpful in my job as I, I could be. But I can't fault these guys either. A lot of them that have been with Nosler from the beginning, they're an older generation. Maybe they're not used to women hunting. Um, and so I don't like outright get upset or like be like, oh, actually I hunt too. Like here's all the photos. Like I'm pretty humble about it. And I kind of just like read the room and sit back. And if they have questions, I answer it. And most of them are like, whoa, you actually know what you're talking about. Okay. So let's like dive into ballistics or let's talk about this or what bullet would be best for this? Or when can I get this product? And then it goes from there. And it's really funny to see the look on their face. Cause they go from being like, oh God, I don't know if I should talk to this girl to be like, wow, this was awesome. Like we had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's funny. And it's just kind of interesting. It's an interesting dynamic, but I think it's getting better. Like more and more women are in the industry and more are working in the industry, like for companies within the hunting industry and providing value and like being in important roles. And I think that that's great. Yeah, no. And uh, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I want to hit on first. Um, you said the older generation may not be used to women hunting, but I've seen some pretty amazing photos of women in like jean dresses with that's rifles that <laughs> killed bigger yeah, bucks than that's true. but uh you know i'm sure they also went back home and just like got back to their whatever their farm ranch duties were and <laughs> didn't say anything about it but um you know it's uh it, it's an interesting thing because i feel like you know and my, my wife called me this whenever i used to there was different events that I would run and I'd go work the booth and stuff. And she'd call me the red bull girl for whatever company I was going to the booth for. Right. And uh, I feel like they've kind of turned that into a thing where if the, the pretty face is there, then they're just there for marketing. They're just there to attract people to come to the booth uh-huh. and they don't really know anything. They're just pretty face. And, um, it's not much different. We even said, you know, there's uh, I don't know the technical term for it, but they, I call them camo bunnies. I know there's like, buckle bunnies and gun bunnies and all this stuff right we can call uh, them camo bunnies yeah well maybe we'll start a new term we, we're starting a new term we're, we're recording that i hope bunnies. no one's ever referred to me as that like <laughs> well no and that's the thing is that you you're different because you actually go out there you don't like take these photos that you know people talk about on valentine's day where they're holding the heart and they're like oh mm-hmm. happy valentine's day taking a bite out of it like to get attention uh wearing camo that's two sizes too small stuff like that that it's like, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't help the industry. It doesn't mm-hmm. help educate the, the, the group of individuals that we need to uh, to be educated on hunting. Those yeah. people that are not really going to win over the hearts of the anti-hunter per se, but it's the non-hunters that's a huge majority of the population that don't understand it. And so when they, when they see the cute little wolf puppies up there saying that they're being hunted by evil ranchers they're like oh well these all these john duttons of the world we need to go after them and then instead of you know and then they go and they look it up and they're like oh well they're just like the military world you know tactical people that want to look cool Mm -hmm. we need to have that educated conversation and so when there's people like you out there that are genuinely out there have done it your entire life um it there's i guess it's a double-bladed sword because you really enjoyed enough that you don't want to come off as someone who's preachy and talk about it so much Mm -hmm. um, are going to get told that you're claiming it for attention. But at the same time, you're the person that needs to be out there talking about it because you've lived it. You love it. You enjoy it. 
and you can show that it's possible not just for women but for people that are new you know to get into it yeah definitely i think social media has played such an interesting role in mm. the industry too and one thing that sticks out to me and i i don't know why but i've seen it more recently is where like people will post like oh i hunted before hunting was cool and i think that's so funny because hunting was always cool to me yeah. like literally since i was little like before it was cool like there is people out there that post hunting photos just for clout but mm. i would say the majority of people I would like to think are doing it for the right reasons and we need more hunters that are looking at conservation i think it's pretty obvious that not all of our state agencies and federal agencies have the animals best interests at mind all the time and so um I, and we all have different reasons for hunting right and we all have different expectations of what success looks like in the field and different place different value on different sizes of animals. And for me, as long as I'm shooting a mature animal, like that's my goal. But I think at the end of the day, we do need more people in the hunting industry, but we need them educating. We need them not dumbing down their posts for the non-hunters, but just creating a space where it's not so technical yeah and i've seen i've seen posts too that i feel like disrespect the animal even when it comes to predator hunting mm -hmm. um especially coyotes like i see some coyote groups out there that and i love coyote hunting like don't get me wrong mm -hmm. i absolutely love coyote hunting but i see some that just have disrespectful photos and mm -hmm. captions when it comes to shooting predators and there's a reason for shooting predators like absolutely yeah. from just living on a ranch to hunting like and wanting healthier big game populations there's an absolute reason for shooting predators but i think it's just how we go about it and doing it in a respectful way and that's what kind of strikes me the wrong way when i see the girls posing with animals certain ways i'm like this is more about the animal and mm -hmm. i I'm a sucker for a good grip and grin. Like, don't get me wrong. I do it. I love it. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, it's just all about respecting the animals. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I had a guy uh, talking about respecting the animal. It kind of blew my mind. Um, he came back to work, went on an elk hunt. This was last year. I didn't end up getting tagging out on archery last year. And uh, he came back from a rifle hunt and he was like, you know, showing the picture. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Cool. Glad you got a bull great meat etc and then he went into the story to not just me but like to everyone at work that some of them are anti-hunters and then a lot of them are just non-hunters and he's like man you know it was like a 700 yard shot and i had to take seven bullets to... See, yeah like, oh no like, just don't tell anyone that like you should not be shooting that far if you had to hit him that many times no that's um, sad yeah and so for me i'm like at that point it almost made me angry uh because i was like one you're hurting the hunting community too you sound like you're bragging about it and that's not that's not a brag like cool that you shot an animal at 700 yards i guess but um why did it take you that many shots to me that's even like that shows how uh i don't know it, it's it's less of a brag and more of a i'm kind of I, I hate to say it but it, i'm stupid i don't know what yeah. i'm doing kind of kind of deal and <sighs> it's very unethical and so like mm -hmm. stuff like that i was just like because mm, like one of the main people that I work with she's a very much an animal lover and 
she'll never be a hunter at all in her life, but she appreciates, she'll bring it up to me and talk to me when I'm leaving work on a hunt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll talk about how I, you know, try and treat it as ethical as possible. And, and she's had full blown conversations with me about it. It still ends up on the side of, Hey, you know, good luck on your hunt, but I hope you don't kill anything kind of deal. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that's the, that's how we end things was very amicable. And, uh-huh. uh, and, and, and that's how I feel like conversation should be rather than these other ones where, and I don't even, and the thing is, I don't know if he even realizes how dumb he sounded to someone. And I say dumb because he's mistreating the animal, not because mm-hmm. he's dumb, but just because the way he treated that life uh, and was bragging about shooting an animal seven times at distance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, dude. Yeah, like, I think there's just- a little bit of like arrogance that comes with that. And I, I've come across similar situations where people show me a photo of like a huge bull and they'll be like, mm. look at this bull. Like I shot him during archery season, but I never found him. Mm. And I'm like, wait, why are you telling me this? Yeah. Don't tell me this. I don't want to hear that. And I mean, everyone loses an animal. If you were hunt for long enough, stuff happens. Uh, and I hope that I never lose one, but I'm sure it'll happen. And we can always be better hunters, but to go on and brag about that. Yeah. I've never understood that. It really makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Really. It's really sad. And so just kind of, we went down a tangent because I love this topic. I want to come back to, to, to um, women in the industry though, and why you're so important because again, even if you take the woman aspect out of it, you have more experience than a lot of people do in the industry. Uh, you you do this before hunting was cool, whatever that means, right? Like it, it's uh, for me, I've had people that come to me and they're like, "Oh, these adult onset hunters, blah blah blah," and I'm just like, I listen to them, and then I'm like, "Well, I mean, you're kind of anti adult onset hunter, but I'm an adult onset hunter." Yeah. Like <laughs> you're telling me all this stuff that you hate, and you've been following me, I guess, for a couple of years now. You didn't realize that that's I've said it. I don't know how many times in my podcast, but like. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm new to this and I'm taking people on this journey with me because I'm learning and I'm trying to be as ethical as possible. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm sharing all this information, all the gear that I share and stuff, because I want to have the best possible chance when I have that bull or that, you know, whatever it is, deer, big game in front of me, I want to be as ethical as possible. Um, and for me, the best gear helps that little one or 2% as long as I'm training you know? Yeah. And so, um, the adult hunter is something that's really important, but also along with that, narrowing it down even more, getting women into the industry. Uh, and I guess maybe not even the industry, but getting women into hunting in the outdoors so they can one, at least understand why their spouses enjoy it Mm -hmm. or two, they can be self-sufficient if they need to, um, you know, and, and enjoy the outdoors and understand the conversation that maybe their spouse comes home to, or maybe it's just their passion. Maybe their spouse doesn't hunt and they want to get out and do it. So let's kind of touch on that a little bit. Why, why do you feel it's important for women to get more involved in the hunting industry when, or I keep saying industry that in the hunting when, um, I guess when it's such a male driven community, why would it be important to get women involved? Um, that's a great question. I've never really thought of it that way. Um, I think just my personal experience with hunting, being in the outdoors and hunting 
has taught me so many things about myself. It's brought confidence. It's brought like an empowerment. I think that just in general, it's a very empowering experience. And I think that not just the skill of killing an animal, like the act of actually killing the animal is so, so small in comparison to the whole picture. But I think there's value in knowing how to break down an animal, knowing where your meat comes from. Like, obviously some people get it from the grocery store and that's fine. But like knowing where that meat comes from and having that connection to the animal's life. And one example of this, so my mom shot her first elk this year and she always she always supported us growing up like she'd always get up early pack our lunches send us off with my dad whatever but she just never felt like she needed to hunt and i totally respect that hunting's not for everyone i definitely don't think everyone needs to hunt but i would love everyone to at least understand it and so this year she decided she wanted to shoot her first elk and she shot a cow and one thing she said to me was I'm never wasting any meat ever again. And I was like, yeah, because you saw that we had to crawl like 600 yards to get out to these elk to get a shot. And she saw the work that went in and granted, like it was only a couple days and it wasn't a super hard hunt, but it was hard to her. And She saw the process of breaking it down. She saw the animal die in front of her. And she's like, I'm never wasting meat ever again. And to me, that was like, that was the connection. And I think that that's important for people to have. And I I definitely don't think it's important for everyone to hunt. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But women bring a different perspective into hunting. And it's kind of interesting as I've gotten older, I think my perspective has changed a little bit you know they talk about women being more of like having that nurturing side and i've kind of felt that in myself Mm -hmm. as i get older i think as i come into like years of more like maybe when we're supposed to be having kids or motherhood years maybe it's like hormones or something's changed but growing up like we used to shoot everything like chipmunks i'd be like oh we should go shoot those or like squirrels (laughs) and And now I'm like, if it's not serving a purpose, I'm not shooting it. And I think that that's kind of the difference between men and women and not saying that all men are like that, but I would say women bring a more nurturing aspect to it. And I I would agree. Not that I don't love to kill animals. I, I do, but I love the whole process. And I think that between the empowerment just the confidence building in the skills and the know-how, being able to protect yourself. Like if you're hunting, your chances are you're learning how to use some sort of weapon to protect yourself, which I think is important, especially this day and age. And then just that connection and nurturing side. Yeah, hundred percent. And I would even go as far to say, and I, and I honestly um, haven't asked you about this, but I imagine you believe in a higher power. Um, Mm -hmm. and I I would say that women are more naturally spiritual than men. Uh, you're more tapped into that to, you know, I believe in God and and Christianity. And so I would say that women are definitely more tapped into that naturally. It takes more for men to either be humbled enough to where they feel it or, um, to quiet their brain. Well, I guess sometimes we don't even have anything going across our brains, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, yes. To, to, to actually tap in and recognize that we're not strong enough to handle certain situations. And 
um, there's there's definitely times where, for me, um, you know, I'm I'm a strong believer in going to church, but I also feel that some of my most spiritual moments outside of going to an actual temple, uh, but going up on top of a mountain or yeah. when I've killed an animal and I'm walking up on that animal is when I've had some of my more uh, spiritual moments because, uh, you know, this, this world was made for us mm -hmm. and, um, and for us to take those resources that were made for us to take, we were yep. made to have dominion over this world. Um, we also need to respectfully have that. And so it's definitely something that for me, seeing women involved in, in hunting or outdoors in general, um, there's something that's calming about it too. Uh, you know, women are, are naturally more anxious than men mm -hmm. um, or at least show it. Uh, I know, but getting outdoors and away from the stresses of social media and uh, life and bills and everything else um, is something that is beneficial for, for men. And I would even imagine more so for, for women that are, again, more in tuned with other people's feelings and more in tune spiritually, naturally uh, yeah. than men are. So, you know, for, for the women out there that I'm, I'm sure the majority of my listeners are men, but if you men want your women to either A, support you more in hunting or B, um, get into it, then I would recommend highly supporting that and inviting them, whether you think they want to or not, mm -hmm. just the invite itself matters a lot. Um, also having people that you could, and we could talk about this too, where you were saying that you and your husband butt heads sometimes with the way that you guys hunt. Uh, it's not always the best thing to, whether it be in fitness or hunting or outdoors in general, for you to be the coach for your wife. Um, that, that you might need to have a trusted advisor or friend or someone else that knows what they're talking about mm -hmm. to be able to uh, walk your wife through shooting a bow for the first time or shooting a rifle for the first time. Um, because you don't want to add that stress to, to your marriage. It shouldn't be stressful. It should be fun. So yeah. uh, I guess with that being said, um, your you hunting with your husband. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I, just wanna, <laughs> I just want to hit on what you said, because I was going to say with your audience being predominantly probably male, there is a natural tendency when your spouse is trying to teach you something to like, give pushback. And I don't even know where that stems from. Even in, in the healthiest of relationships, I feel like there's just a little bit of contention there. And so sometimes it is good to bring in someone else or just to give them a little grace, you know, um, or go into it in a very positive light because my mom never showed any desire to hunt. And I, it was interesting when we were on her cow hunt, it was me, my mom and my dad. And I was the one that was like calm. I'm like, okay, we're going to get your rifle set up. This is where the cow, I ended up cow calling her cow into a hundred yards. But I was like, this is like, this is where she's going to come from. If you don't, if you get on her and you don't want to pull the trigger, totally fine. Like I won't be upset. Whereas like my dad was like, okay, I'm like, you're going to do this, yeah. this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, just slow yeah. down. And yeah. there's already such a barrier to entry into hunting, whether like so many like cost and just the intimidation, it being a male dominant ha hobby. Like there's so many um, things that 
are already standing in the way of her liking hunting. So just make sure it's an enjoyable experience. If she's not into all like the blood and gore, the animal not dying quickly, yeah. you know, there's ways you can mitigate some of this stuff. So just keep that stuff in mind. But when it comes to hunting with my husband, absolutely love and adore him. He is a killer. Like he's had a lot of hunting opportunities in his days. But we just grew up very, hunting very differently. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic when we got together and started hunting because I'm like, oh, like, this is how I want to go about it. And he's like, well, this is how I want to go about it. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So we're really good. We really enjoy hunting together, but we definitely butt heads. And that's something that we've had to learn to kind of meet in the middle on. And there's there's times where we go our separate ways. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to – I'm going to go down here and hunt or he hunts deer. I hunt elk. Like I think there's value in having your alone time too. And there's empowerment in being in the woods by yourself as well. But it's also really nice to have someone to do that with and enjoy that with. And if you've ever tried to break down an animal by yourself, it's definitely nice to have help. (laughs) But yeah, just coming from different backgrounds uh, has made it kind of tricky, but I feel like we both, have value that we add to each other's hunting experiences like i've learned a ton from him that i now pass on to other people and new hunters and i hope he's learned something a thing or two from me but i don't know question is will he admit it (laughs) yeah probably not (laughs) oh that's awesome so i i want to ask you on this subject too uh why do you think that men have more of a tendency to tinker with their stuff than women do because mm-hmm. we always joke about this where i'm like you know uh i've got a couple of buddies that their wives shoot bows my wife hasn't gotten into it yet and uh she will eventually whether she knows it or not we'll get her into shooting a bow it's just you know i'm wearing her down slowly yeah right? but uh <laughs> but you know i've noticed that guys that have wives that shoot bows the guy's always messing with his stuff and the wife isn't and she will outshoot him <laughs> You know, some for the most part and it's because i'm like well dude if we didn't mess around with our stuff so much and we got it dialed in and yeah. left it, we wouldn't have this problem you know but why why do you think that is why do you think the guys are like mm-hmm. oh squirreling with a new flashy thing or want the new thing to mess around with and women are just like eh, it works we're good i honestly think it comes back to egos yeah. and whether like guys want to admit it or not or whether you have a big ego or not, you have some sort of ego. And I I really think it just comes back to that. Like they always want the newest thing. They always want the fastest bow. Um, And I I think too, it's not necessarily even in competition with others all the time. I think it's just how you guys are wired because my husband's the same way where I'm like, I'll find a load that my rifle likes to shoot. And I'm like, okay, I want 10 boxes of that and I'm never going to change it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, over here, like a new load each week for his rifle, trying to figure out what's better. And I'm like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But yeah, I think this is how you guys are wired. I have not quite figured that one out. I keep forgetting to ask women this, but yeah, I need to ask more women that because I genuinely want to know, like, and it seems like it's, uh, it is like what you're saying, just kind of in our nature to, to want to try something new and, and the newest thing, um, you know, and, and kind of deviating a little bit, but I've I've talked with my sons on this and uh, I heard this, I think it was Andrew, uh, it was either Huberman or um, 
someone in the brain space that's a lot smarter mm-hmm. than me was talking about how we're wired and why one social media is so addicting because the constant swiping and there is no end, right? And then two, the just our brains were wired to love dopamine. And it used to be that to get that dopamine hit, you had to put in a lot of work, either with mm-hmm. gathering food for the family, hunting, running something down, accomplishing something, building something. It took a lot more work. And then when you were done, you could sit back, put your hands on your hips, and you got that hit. You were like, ah, yeah, I accomplished mm-hmm. that. Now, for a lot of guys, and luckily I haven't fallen into this trap, but men mostly are addicted to, um, or I guess, people that are addicted to video games are mostly male. Um, people that are addicted to, again, the newest, flashiest thing are men. Um, I'd, I'd say, you know, most people, the reason why men and women get on social media are for two different reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's so many things about male versus female biology um, that just the idea of wanting to get the next hit of dopamine is becoming easier and easier, but not necessarily more productive. It's just easier to get that hit. And uh, and so I just, you know, for, again, for, for the man out there that's listening, um, stop messing with your stuff, even though I encourage it at the same time. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I've got the gear reviews that I do all the time and uh, first impressions, all that stuff. I love new gear. But at the same time, like, it, it's, it's not the most important thing. Uh, and, you know, I just recommend that, let your let your wife out shoot you if she does every once in a while (laughs) be okay with that and maybe learn something from it uh you know and and for the rifle guys out there you don't have to be changing your loads all the time um Uh there's something you can just you know if this one worked the best you know stick with it i mean maddie's literally works for ammo company and so (laughs) she knows what she's doing at least i'd say she does she knows enough about accounting to get into marketing but (laughs) yes Um, is there anything that we haven't hit on, on any of these topics or anything else that you'd like to, to speak to the audience on before we wrap up here? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it just a little bit more on the, the dopamine. I think we've become a society that loves instant gratification and just like a little reminder that there is so much more reward in hard work. And I think it's kind of funny when it comes back to hunting for me I love the whole experience like I love being successful don't get me wrong but I love the entire experience and some of my most favorite hunts and memories have been the most brutal like absolutely brutal hunts like my favorite hunt was my brother's hunt last year and he shot his deer at 5 p.m. and we packed all night and got back to the truck at 1 p.m. through a nasty canyon and to the point where I was like having a mental breakdown like why the hell do we do this stuff and to this day it's like my most fondest hunt and there's just there's so much reward in hard work and the work you put in and the entire process and just make sure you enjoy it all because there's so much more to it just than that like five seconds of the kill. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with that 100%. And I don't know why um, those most painful pack outs and, and hunts are the, the I guess, the favorite memories. You know, they suck mm-hmm. in the moment, yeah. but they're the favorite memories. Uh, 
And there's something too, I, I don't, and I wonder if this, this kind of applies to our mental state after a hard hunt for pack out. But I know there's some biology, chemical, something that happens when women have babies that you naturally forget the pain that you go through during childbirth. Yeah. Because, you know, within a couple months later, woman's like, Hey, let's have another one. I love let's do it again. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, I don't know why our brains do that. It's probably mm -hmm. because our brain's like, Hey, we wanted to do that again. Just don't remember the hard part. Yeah. Everything else about it is amazing. So forget the hard part. I, maybe, maybe it applies to hunting. Maybe we're onto something there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Someone out there. That's, that's, what, that's what it feels like. I mean, yeah. I've never had a child, but well, I did in the moment. I was like, I'm never doing this again. And then like two days later, I was like, okay, I could do that again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm recovering. It's empowering. Yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I did that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just feels good. Um, well, awesome. Well, guys, uh, first off, Maddie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh taking the time to hop on the podcast. And we'll definitely have to do another one um, you know, in the next year or so, just catching up on yeah, uh, how things go with, with me shooting a rifle again. Uh and let me know and if you need out. any ammo. Yeah, oh for sure. I know and where guys, you can find some. Really? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Send me over what calibers you shoot and I'll get you yeah. hooked up. Sweet. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. Well, guys, Maddie is just a great individual, very genuine person. If you have any questions about hunting, she has way more experience than I do. I'll just say that right off the get go. Um, I'm an Eastern guy that came out West and is just loving it and stuck here now because I love the, the, the West, but um, haven't been as far West as Oregon. So I'll get there, but reach out to Maddie ask her any questions you have. If you want to talk calibers, reach out to Maddie as well. Um, I'm just going to send everyone your way, Maddie. So. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with that being said, give a shout out to wherever you want people to go to find you or Nosler. And uh, I'll leave the links for that down below as well. Yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram at Maddie Woodward. Or um, if you reach out to Nosler's account, you're going to get me too. Uh, but it's at Nosler Inc. Awesome. So, Perfect. Guys. Yeah. And go check out uh Nosler's archery team. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the AccuBlade. Uh but guys, thanks thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I love having people like Maddie on that just have an amazing a world of experience different from all of us and maybe some of them similar, but uh something that she can share with you guys and as I always say guys, get out, live your life and love it.